All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is turning out to be one of my favorite holidays because it's like I got a second birthday and everybody loves their own birthday, right? So uh, it's been awesome. Having kids was the best decision of my life. And, and also, you know, I think Father's Day is awesome because I have the best dad in the world. Uh, a lot of you have probably seen him puttering around out by the, by the iPad uh, and helping with kids check in. He's awesome. And he did an amazing job uh, raising my little sister and, and was always there for me. So... Um, I really appreciate everything he did, and, and, and since I have an opportunity to stand up here and tell you guys how awesome my dad is, I thought I would do that because he's pretty awesome. So um, if you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles. We are going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, underneath your chair, there's a blue Bible. We're going to be on page 10, 1010 in that Bible, Acts chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take that one home with you. That is our gift to you. You can go home, you can draw on it, you can mark it up, uh, and read it as much as you possibly can. So... So Acts chapter 4, and when we, we're going to be in, in verse 23, but before we get there, before we start on there, I want to talk a little bit about boldness, right? Because what we're going to talk about today is the boldness of the early church. And boldness, right, we're, we, we have a tendency as people to be bold and speak boldly about those things that we're most passionate about. Right? The things that we get the most excited about are the things that we will speak boldly about. For example, there are, there's a large contingency of us uh, that will talk really boldly about their favorite sports team. Right? If you've known me for any amount of time, you know that I'm a Denver Broncos fan, and I will engage in an argument with you over the Denver Broncos at any given time and tell you how good they are. Right? My dog's named Elway. Okay? That's all you need to know. I love the Denver Broncos, and I'm, I'm always really, really happy to talk about the Denver Broncos. And I think that, that we all have something like that in our life, something that we're so passionate about that we're willing to, to, to wreck friendships over talking about that and arguing over that. But that isn't always how we treat Jesus. Not meaning that we would want to wreck our friendships, but we don't boldly talk about the gospel like we talk about sports or we talk about golf or we talk about whatever that is, politics, right? Everybody has an opinion on politics. We'll talk about politics, but we won't always engage that way in the gospel. And so today, we're going to be talking about boldness and the areas that, that the church, the early church was bold. So if you would... Um, Please stand with me in honor, of reading of the, uh, in honor and reverence of reading of God's word. So when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, to your servants, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and when they 
and heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and, and take a seat. All right, so if you were here with us last week or if you've been here with us throughout the course of the summer, you know that we're walking through the book of Acts. And last week, what we saw was Peter and John worked this miracle outside the temple walls. So Peter and John are walking into the temple, and as they're walking in, there's this guy, and he's laying there, and he's been laying on a mat, and we know that he's about 40 years old. And as they walk past him, Peter stops, and he says to him, he says, by the power of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so this man gets up, and he enters into the temple with him. And you can imagine that created a bit, a bit of commotion, right? It created a stir. People were excited. This guy that they've walked past every single day is now suddenly walking in to the temple with Peter and John, and before he was just laying outside the temple and couldn't even stand. Right? So it creates a bit of commotion, and whenever we see a miracle like this, Peter takes the opportunity to stand up and tell everyone about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So Peter stands up, he starts preaching to the people in the temple, and while he's doing that, he talks about how it was the chief priests and the Sadducees who crucified Jesus. And like most people, they don't take well to an insult. Now, Peter's not intentionally insulting them. He's simply speaking the truth. But sometimes the truth is offensive, right? So he stands up and he tells them this, and they get, they get angry and they have Peter and John arrested. But they realize they don't have a reason to keep Peter and John, right? They haven't done anything wrong at this point. They healed a guy, which there's no law against, and now everybody's all excited and there's this commotion, so certainly they don't want to hold them because now they might have a riot on their hands or something bad could happen, so what they decide to do is say, okay, guys, you can go, but cut the Jesus crap, okay? No more talking about Jesus. That's, that's enough. And, John, and, and Peter says, listen, you got to do what you, you're going to do, but I have to tell people about Jesus. And so Peter goes out and goes to his friends, and that's where we picked up today. So when he gets there, he's, after having been arrested, he comes into his group of friends and he says to everybody, he says, hey, guys, things are bad. John and I, we were in the temple, and we got arrested because we were talking about Jesus. And so I think what we're gonna do, I think for the next few weeks, we're just gonna cool it off. Okay, no more talking about Jesus. We're just gonna, we're gonna kind of just let things settle down. Maybe, maybe John and I, you know, we're gonna go on vacation. He and I are gonna go to Egypt. We're gonna see the pyramids. We're just gonna relax for a few days and then we'll come back and then maybe after thing, everything's cooled down, then what we'll do, then we'll actually create a plan where we're gonna talk about Jesus but we don't wanna do it in a way that might hurt someone's feelings or, or get us in trouble. We do not wanna get in any, any more trouble, okay? That's what they do, right? Wrong. That isn't at all what they do. What they come back is there's this excitement. They come back to their group of friends and they're like, listen, guys, we just got arrested. We just got told that by threatened by the chief priest. But you know what? You guys aren't gonna believe what happened. The Holy Spirit showed up and healed this guy that was sitting outside the temple walls. They're excited even though they know that they're going to get in trouble for talking about Jesus. But I don't know if we were faced with that same situation, if that's how we would have responded. I actually think that if we're honest with ourselves, we probably would have reacted how I just described. That what we would have done is we would have said, listen, we don't wanna get in trouble, so 
Let's figure out how we can tell people about Jesus without actually telling them about how awesome he is, because we don't want them to get bugged. We'll let them do our thing, and we'll do our thing, okay? That's, that's kind of what we'll do. We don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to, to feel alienated because of the things we're saying. I had this roommate uh, back in college. His name was Dustin. And when I say roommate, I mean roommate, right? He, he lived in the same bedroom as me. Um, and we were best friends. We did everything together, including date my wife, kind of. So... That's weird, I know, but when Bree and I started dating, I always brought Dustin, and she's like, dude. And I'm like, yeah, he's awesome, right? <laughs> so Dustin and I were best buddies, right? And we did everything together. And one of the things that we did a lot uh, together was argue. We spent a ton of time arguing because we're both really opinionated, and if any of you know an opinionated person, you know that they're really super annoying, right? Opinionated people are the worst. Being one, I can say that, right? And so... He and I would argue about just, just the most useless stuff. And, and one day, he and I were having this conversation. We were watching SportsCenter, and I don't remember how, how it came up, but we started debating whether or not Manu Ginobili was the leading scorer for the San Antonio Spurs. And, it, and he was convinced that there was no way that Manu Ginobili could be the leading scorer for the San Antonio Spurs because he comes off the bench and he's not a starter. And I knew that Manu Ginobili was the leading scorer. But Dustin had this thing where he would rope my other roommates into the, into the argument. And so at this point, there's three of them ganged up on me. We don't have smartphones at this time. It seems like 100 years ago, but we don't have smartphones. We didn't even have the internet in our apartment. So after arguing and arguing and arguing, I finally said, let's drive over to the school. We'll look it up and we'll figure out who's right. And guess who was right? Me, of course, right? Manu Ginobili was the leading scorer for three consecutive years for the Spurs. But it was at that moment... After that argument, I was so fed up with dealing with Dustin and arguing with him, right? I was so tired of it. And so what I decided I was going to do moving forward is I was never going to openly disagree with him or openly agree with him because it made my life easier. And we tend to think, of our, think to ourselves that it will be easier for us if we don't have these arguments. And what that's really saying is that our love for ourselves is greater than our love for that person. We, are, we will passionately speak about the things that we love the most, right? And what in that scenario, I loved me the most. I didn't like arguing. I was tired of, of, of having to deal with all of the, the, the stuff that came along with arguing with, with Dustin, and so I chose myself. And I think that that happens a lot. But that is not what happens with the believers here. In verse 24... It says that they came together and they began praying. They say, sovereign God. They say, Lord, we know you are the creator of all things. We look at the stars and we look at the moon and we see the sun and we see the universe and we see how great you are. We look at creation and we see everything in it, the mountains, the deserts, the animals. It's all because of you and you are in control of all of it. That's something I think that we've lost a little bit in our church today. That we don't always look at the Lord and realize his magnitude. That we forget that in Genesis 1.27 it, it says that we were created in his image. That we were created by him and for him. He, wasn't, he isn't there to serve us, right? We try, and, we try and simplify God because we think about ourselves. But this group of believers, they stand in awe and reverence of his might. 
And once they've acknowledged who he is, they go on to acknowledge his control of all things. They turn to Psalms 2, where it says that, that the Gentiles raged against him, that the kings set themselves against him, the rulers were gathered together against his anointed one. This is a psalm that most of the believers would have known having grown up in Jewish families, right? It's one they would have heard at temple. It's one that they would have probably heard in their homes. But at the time, it was probably a little bit cryptic. They probably didn't understand what it meant until Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, they now understand how that prophecy of David was fulfilled So now they see the power and majesty of God. They understand that he's in control of all things. And they're excited to share the good news for that reason. They are excited to see the gospel move forward. They aren't concerned about the consequences of sharing the good news. They're thinking about how am I going to go out into the community and communicate what God is doing in my life. And so they pray for boldness. So let's pause there for a minute. It's a time when they realize that they are going to be persecuted for sharing the good news. The chief Sadducees said as much. They threatened them, right? They know that this could result in bad things for them, yet they aren't concerned with that. They don't pause and say, Lord, could you just protect me for the time being? Just keep us safe for a minute. They don't say, could you just make the Sadducees go away? Like, just, just, God, let us do our thing and help them go away and and let them be, let, let us be. That isn't what they pray for. They pray for boldness. They want to continue to boldly declare the good news. But when we pray, I think we have to ask ourselves, what do we pray for? How do we pray? I think if we if we're honest, most of the time our prayers are about us. If I think about all of the prayers that I've ever had, if if I thought about all the prayers that I've ever prayed and said, man, if these were answered, whose life would be better? The answer is mine. My life would be better. I would have been a professional baseball player for starters, right? I would have been playing for the New York Yankees. None of you would know me. And that is what I thought God should do in my life. From the time I was seven years old to I think I was too old to be praying for it. I was still praying for that, right? Our lives would be better. We have this tendency to pray for that promotion at work, right? Lord God, if you, just, if you could just give me that promotion so that I could, I could get that car and go on that vacation. Lord God, man, I just need eight hours of sleep tonight. Could you just please, please, please let Danny stay in his bed for one night, just one night? Man, Lord, my life is so chaotic right now. I just need time to just to sit down and relax. Lord, if I could just have 30 minutes to watch the office, right? Those are the types of things we pray for. And I'm not saying that those are not good prayers. Okay, I wanna make that really, really clear. Jesus said time and time again in the New Testament that we should bring all things to him. In John's first epistle, he he writes, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. God wants us to come to him with all of those things, and we should continue to pray those prayers, but I think we should also take a second to to ask ourselves, why are we praying for those things? What are we expecting out of God? Are we treating God more like a personal genie than the creator of the universe? 
Remember earlier I said that, that as a church, we some, seem, sometimes seem to have lost sight of the magnitude of the Lord. Our sinful nature is to look at ourselves, right? It's to look inward, to look at, out for number one. We come to church to get our fill so that we feel good when we exit those doors. We focus on how much church means to me. Francis Chan, uh, in his book, Crazy Love, said this. He said, the goals of American Christianity are often a nice marriage, children who don't swear, and good church attendance. Taking the words of Christ literally and seriously is rarely considered. That's for the radicals who are unbalanced and who go overboard. Most of us want a balanced life that we can control, that is safe, and that does not involve suffering. See, our prayer lives tell us a lot about our relationship with Jesus. Are we at this thing called church so that we can get something out of it other than Jesus? Is it about me? And I think that's a really important question that we have to ask ourselves because a church full of Christians that thinks only about themselves is a church that only thinks about itself. We get so focused on what happens inside these walls that we completely neglect and forget what's happening outside of these walls. We stop focusing on the mission that Jesus laid out for us in Acts chapter one where he said, go to the ends of the earth and tell people about me because we're so consumed by what's happening right here. The early church understood this mission. In verse 30, they pray for signs and miracles but they're not praying for their lives to be changed. Right? They're not praying that God would, would change their life in these miracles. They're asking God to show up in the midst of these people who don't know him and so that they might understand and see the power of God, that their lives might be transformed and that they might see Jesus. That's why they want them. Not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom. Now, again, I want to make sure that I'm very clear in saying that that does not mean that we shouldn't continue to pray for the things that we've been praying for. All of those prayers are important. We should bring our hopes and our dreams before the Lord. But what if in addition to those prayers, we started to pray in a way that we asked God to show up? Right? We started praying for the boldness to speak God's words like the early Christians did. Because can you imagine if they hadn't done that? If God hadn't shown up and moved in their lives, where would the church be today? What if our love for our neighbors and for our friends was greater than the love for ourselves and so we sought to, the boldness to proclaim the good news? What if we started thinking about the hope of Jesus and what that means for everyone else? I think what would happen naturally is that we would stop focusing so much on ourselves and start focusing more on those people. We would think about all of the people in our lives that don't know Jesus and how important reaching them is. The love for them would exceed our love for us. What if we started saying, God, use me. Use me, Lord. Don't give to me, but use me. I know that that might mean introducing some suffering into my life. I know that that may mean that, that I tick off one of my friends, but God, use me in their lives because that is more important to me that they know you 
then they continue on the path of destruction. And I think if we step back and we look at the big picture that God will show up, we're seeing it in our community today here at Flourishing Grace. In verse 31, God showed up when the early church prayed for boldness. It says, they were gathered and the ground was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? They go out into the community and they tell everyone about Jesus. Think about what that means for them. These were already bold individuals. They were in first century uh, Israel where Judaism reigned supreme and they're leaving the Jewish faith to follow Jesus. They're already bold. But they want to be more bold because they want to go out and tell other people about Jesus. They want everyone to experience Christ. See, they understand and realize that the grace of God is greater than anything in our life today. And they, that the knowledge, of the, the, the knowledge and, and good news is more important than their own personal well-being. They know that the church isn't about this building. The church isn't about the worship music. Pete and the team put together amazing sets every single week, but it's not about them. We're led by men like Benjur and Josh who love the Lord and love the word of God, but it's not about them. It's not even about those of us who sit in the chairs every single week and come listen. It's not about us. This is about Jesus. If Jesus hadn't shown up, Right? If Jesus hadn't lived a perfect life, if he hadn't bled and died and suffered for each and every single one of us, and if he wasn't alive today and resurrected so that we could spend eternity with him, none of us would be here. This is about Jesus. This is the good news. So what if, what would it look like if we were to pray for the audacity the audacity to share the good news, to pray that we would long to tell the world about Jesus, that that would be the most important thing to us. What if we were so concerned with telling everyone, instead of telling everybody about the Denver Broncos, right, that we were, we were concerned with telling them about the hope of Jesus and what, that he not only gave his life for everyone, but for you individually. He gave his life for everyone. That what was most important to us is the love of Christ. And then let's take that and let's find that person. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. But it's someone specifically in your life. And that we would start praying not for that person, but that God would use us in that person's life to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's someone that you speak to pretty regularly. Maybe it's someone you've already had small conversations with about Jesus, but you never wanna push it too far because you don't want to offend them, which is another way of saying, you love yourself more than you love them because you don't want to deal with the discomfort that comes along with that. But isn't salvation more important than that? That is the good news. So let's start praying that he will use us in that person's life. And let's start praying that we would be so bold that it would change our community, that we would see people come to know Jesus as a result of our 
boldness that he would be of supreme value above everything else and that we would stand up for him and we would, we would do everything in our power to tell everyone about him and that we would become a church that could change the lives of thousands, that we would become a church that is so consumed with what goes on outside of these walls as inside of them. That's what Jesus directed us to do. It's not just for us that come to church. The gospel is for everyone. So let's start praying that he would use us in our community today, right now, to share his message. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we stand before you in awe of your greatness. And Lord, we pray that you would use us as a tool in the lives of the people that are closest to us, Lord, that the person across the street that doesn't know you, that when I see them, not only would my life exemplify who you are, but that I would have the courage to tell them about what you did for me what you did for all the people in this community and that salvation comes simply by calling on your name, by turning to you. And God, I pray that we would have the boldness to openly share with everyone in our lives that we, you would be of the most value, that we would be, our love and our passion for you would be visible we would seek to tell the world about who you are. And God, we pray these things in your humble, in your holy name.